You want to know why most Christian witches are not afraid of hell? Because there is no such thing as hell. I'm not sure where to start with this one. Is it the shimmering earrings? Uh, or the shimmering eyeballs? One of the most badass witches that ever existed was Jesus Christ himself. You know what has nothing to do with Jesus' miracles? Witchcraft. Just when I thought I'd heard everything. And then I see this. Welcome back to another video here at Wise Disciple. My name is Nate Sala, and I'm helping you become the effective Christian that you were meant to be. Here at this ministry, we're seeking to live up to the ideal that Jesus sets for all his disciples in Matthew 10, 16. Well, today we're looking at uh, hashtag witch talk, which is actually a thing, okay? I just learned this today. Uh, specifically, there are folks out there on TikTok that claim that witches can be Christians and Christians can be witches. Why would they say such a thing? Do they have any good arguments at all? Let's find out. Before we get into it, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel so we can get this video out to more and more people. I would greatly appreciate that. Also, I've recently partnered with Logos Bible Software, which is the Bible software that I use to do personal Bible studies and to read the Word with you here on YouTube. So check out the very special discounts that Wise Disciple is running with Logos. The link for that is in the description below. You want to know why most Christian witches are not afraid of hell? Because there is no such thing as hell. It is completely contrived. It is made up, conjured out of the minds of humans. It is no. I'm not sure where to start with this one. Is it the shimmering earrings uh, or the shimmering eyeballs? Is it, is it the claim that there are such things as Christian witches in the first place? Or is it the idea that there is no such thing as hell? Uh, where do we begin here, guys? I don't know. Is it door number one, door number two, or door number three? Nowhere to be found is a comprehensive doctrine in the Bible. And I'll give you a little proof. Quoting from the book, Raising Hell, the doctrine of eternal torment. Well, hold on, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there is no such thing as hell. The doctrine of hell is found nowhere in the Bible. And then to prove it, shouldn't we go to the Bible though? Why should we go to a book written by someone else about the Bible? Why not just go to the Bible? and show what the Bible actually teaches. Don't you think that's the best thing to do if you're furthering this kind of argument? The doctrine of eternal torment was not a widely held view for the first five centuries after Christ. Do the research on hell, and what you will find is that the hellfire doctrine of eternal torment came into existence four to five hundred years after Christ. I ain't afraid of hell because there is no hell. Interesting shift there at the end. Uh, so we started with the claim that the doctrine of hell is nowhere in the Bible. Then she shifted the language and started talking about eternal torment. Did you catch that? I'm sure this is where a lot of annihilationists or conditionalists would sit up and say, well, hold on a second, right? Not that I agree with that at all, but I'm pointing out that hell is not synonymous with the concept of eternal torment for all Christians. The huge problem I have with what this lady is saying is she's given no explanation for this at all. Matthew 10, tw uh, 28 here, Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we clearly have a word here that our English translators chose as hell. Uh, it's Gehenna, which was a place designated you know, outside the city gates for burning trash. The fire would constantly burn there. This is where Jesus says that the Father, the one who can destroy both soul and body, will put souls. 
Uh, now, is this literal? Is what Jesus is referring to literal? I don't think so, but the question that you have to ask yourself is, if it's not literal, so in other words, Jesus is not literally talking about the fire that used to burn outside Jerusalem in the first century, because it's not burning anymore. Well, then what is Jesus referring to? If this is some kind of metaphor, what is the referent of the metaphor, right? You can't just wave your hand and dismiss this because it's a metaphor. No, you have to determine what is the referent of the metaphor, because Jesus is describing something. Something happens to people after they die, when they reject God. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, uh, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus— they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Is this some kind of new doctrine that was formulated 500 years after Christianity was formed? No, this is written by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians that was written while Paul was still in Corinth, right? Like 50 AD or something like that. I mean, this is one of the earliest New Testament documents that we have. So what was Paul talking about here? The, the punishment of eternal destruction away from the Lord. Is that not hell? If it's not hell, if this lady says it's not hell, then what is it? Or how about this? Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, God throws Satan um, into the pit, shuts it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, right? But then watch this, verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the, here it is, lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, People can rightly point out that this passage comes from a highly symbolic book, right? It's an apocalyptic text. Okay, good. Uh, and, and they would probably go on to say, well, you know, therefore we cannot say with certainty that a literal lake of fire is what hell is. Fair enough. But the Bible's talking about something. It's not talking about nothing, which is what this lady seems to be suggesting. So she needs to answer the question, what is the Bible talking about when it talks about hell? She said the doctrine is totally made up 500 years after the fact, except, wait a second, the New Testament talks about hell all over the place. So what is she talking about? Hey, real quick, I'm so grateful that you're watching. If I've earned the right to get your sub, I'd love it if you would just click the like and subscribe button. It would really help me to get the video out to more and more people. I really do appreciate you. Next person. Are there examples of Christians practicing witchcraft in the Bible? This is a great conversation, and shout out to Lucille for inviting me into it. I'll tag her below if you're not already following her, you should be. Before I answer this, let me tell you what my definition of witchcraft actually is, because I feel like those in the dictionaries are poorly defined and heavily influenced by negative Western ideas about what witches actually are. To me, witchcraft is a physical act or ritual that is representative of spiritual power, either your own or that of your deities, that results in your intention becoming manifest. To the Bible, witchcraft is this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, 
you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. And for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. It's an important phrase, okay? So not only do we see the characteristics of witchcraft clearly delineated right here, we see a reference to the other nations that practice witchcraft as well. As a matter of fact, like I said right at the very bottom, we see that God is driving them out. He wants to drive these folks out of the midst of the nation of Israel. I point this out because many witches and pagans like to say that there is no condemnation of witchcraft in the Bible because, you know, the words that are used to describe these things in the text, they're really more benign, you know? They simply refer to creating potions, right? Medicinal creations, you know? Maybe maybe somebody making poison or something, but these are all not really a big deal. So these words uh, from the from this person's perspective, you know, the, these words are just misused or misinterpreted and used by Christians to, to create witch trials and things like that, right? In reality, all witchcraft is inextricably linked to idolatry in the Bible. Idolatry is a violation of the first commandment given by God on Sinai. And a perfect example of this is with Manasseh, Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 33, verse 2, and it says, And he did, Manasseh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. You see that phrase, the Lord drove out. That takes us right back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 12. The Lord is driving out the abominations from before you. The interesting thing about Deuteronomy, which we just read together, is Deuteronomy is talking about witchcraft. Second Chronicles is talking about idolatry. Why? Because they're both. They're, they're, they're in the same category of sin. They, both of them are synonymous in God's eyes. Take a look. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, For he rebuilt the high places uh, that his father Hezekiah had broken down. What are those high places? You know, The high places were the hilltops and mountaintops where people would build altars to worship false gods. Again, this is idolatry, and it's a violation of the first commandment. He, uh, he rebuilt the high places, and he erected altars to the Baals, and made Asheroth, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. If you're familiar with the work of Michael Heiser, then you know that the host of heaven, that phrase, refers to the divine beings that comprised God's counsel in the unseen realm. This, this council, a number of them, rebelled, and we are now in the middle of a spiritual battle between them and God. And so these beings desire to pull God, uh, God's people, away from worshiping the one true God and worshiping them instead. And this battle is linked to witchcraft in the Bible. Watch this. Verse 4, And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And here it is. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. This is literally the same list that Deuteronomy uh, lays out for us. Uh, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. 
And the carved image of the idol that he had made, he said in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. How can the Bible talk about idolatry and false worship of idols and witchcraft so interchangeably? It's because they're the same category of sin. That's how the Bible defines witchcraft. So if we're going to have this discussion, let's make sure to represent the Bible accurately. Based on that definition, you find witchcraft in literally every religion. And it also means, in my opinion, that one of the most badass witches that ever existed was Jesus Christ himself. First, you've got the laying of hands to heal. Modern medicine has pretty much already proved that this is possible through the placebo effect. What you believe happens. He walks on water. To me, that's the bending of elements. He casts demons out, witches would call that a banishing. And that part where he breaks bread and says, eat this, this is my body, well, that's taking an ingredient, giving that ingredient an intention that will manifest in the user. You know, I can do the same thing right back to this person. You know, burning candles and using crystals, they don't mean what witches say they mean. You know, they mean what I say it means, right? And what I say it means is, well, you know, uh, using crystals, that's not about promoting healing and the flow of good energy. That's about um, scoring touchdowns and going for a safety when you're at the five-yard line. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystals, they're, they're, that's a football thing, which is never knew about. You know, that's, that's the real history of crystals, right? Burning incense, oh, that just means you stunk up the toilet real bad after some Taco Bell. You know what I mean? Yeah, witches don't know anything about that, that's, but that's what it really means, right? In the same way that witches, this lady probably, would get offended for me misrepresenting their beliefs, they should understand that we Christians are going to get upset for misrepresenting the very words of God. Jesus was a witch. The Bible says Jesus healed people by the anointing of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was not self-manifesting healing. He was not relying on crystals. And why did Jesus heal? You know, he was fulfilling the messianic prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, that talks about the sick being healed, the dead being raised, the blind gaining sight, all to prove that he is the Savior and the, the kingdom of God has come, right? This lady has no idea what is going on in the Bible at all. She's missed every single Old Testament reference and fulfillment by Christ. Jesus walked on water. Yeah, you know, you want to know why he walked on water? He's the new Moses. The, he's the, the one that Moses prophesied would come that was like him. The one that would usher in a new exodus for God's people. I mean, why do you think Jesus walked on water directly after feeding thousands of people with miraculous food? This is a replay of the Israelites receiving manna in the wilderness. Jesus is the new Moses. He ushered in a new exodus, and he walked on the water to show that water bends to him the same way it did for Moses. And even that is only a fraction of what Jesus was proving and showing by performing these miracles. But guess what? You know what has nothing to do with Jesus' miracles? Witchcraft. That's not any different from how we use crystals, herbs, oils, and spells. He creates massive amounts of food out of nothing to feed everybody, and I'd love to master that whole turning water into wine thing. Baptism is a cleansing ritual. Holy oils are used for multiple purposes in the Bible. I have to mention that because I'm a huge fan of oils in my craft. And most Christians completely skip past that whole frankincense and myrrh thing. It's almost like the Magi already knew what he was. 
So yeah, maybe highly controversial, but in my opinion, Jesus was a witch. I'm a big fan. Missed so much. Missed so much about the Passover meal, right? The Passover, you know, the angel of death passing over the Israelites. And at the Last Supper, Jesus giving deeper meaning to that by allowing all who eat of the bread of his body to pass through death, through the blood of the lamb that is shed for the sins of the world. All this lady is doing is making up claims and not supporting herself anywhere with any real arguments or evidence. And so the question that we all should be asking folks who say this kind of stuff is, how did you come to that conclusion? It's one thing for someone to make these kinds of claims. It's another thing entirely for them to back it up with real arguments and evidence. I know some of you out there are getting your dander up and you're thinking about the Bible verses and the responses that you can give back to a person like this lady. But I'm telling you, in order to be effective and challenge this kind of person, you should ask them the question, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, that was, um, yeah, that was something. Uh, just when I thought I'd heard everything. And then I see this. <laughs> Jesus was a witch. Witches are Christians. Boy. Um, let's pray for these folks. As always, you know, let's, let's, and let's also pray that we'll be ready for conversations like this when they find us. If somebody approached you on the street uh, and you had not seen this video, would you have been ready with a response? Right? But here's the thing. I did a search and hashtag, did you know this? Hashtag Christian witch on TikTok has 81 million views. How many folks are taken with this kind of garbage? So let's be ready. Uh, brothers and sisters out there, let's know our scripture. Amen? How would you respond to these TikTokers? What Bible passage comes to mind when you heard these claims? Uh, let me know in the comments below. I'd love to get all of your thoughts on that. As always, if you made it this far, I'd love for you to join my Patreon community where we are doing things uh, exclusively just for patron members. Um, this is for financial support for me and for this channel. And as a huge thank you, you can see videos like this exclusively before they drop and premiere on YouTube. Um, we're also reading the Bible together just as a Patreon community. I'm sharing my Bible study notes. Um, everybody else is commenting and sharing their insights as well. It's a great time. For all of that, uh, definitely check out my Patreon community. Uh, the link for that is in the notes. As always, I'm going to saunter off, but I will return soon with more videos. But in the meantime, I'll say bye for now.